I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 14th of May, and this is The Courier Daily. We've been Zooming, calling, WhatsApping, doing smoke signals and more for the past month and a half to find out how small business owners all over the world are finding opportunities amid the crisis. Today, in a special one-on-one show, we're talking all things transportation with Riley Brennan. Riley's a founding general partner at Trucks VC, a seed-stage VC firm focused on entrepreneurs in the transportation sector. He's also a lecturer at Stanford University, where he teaches classes on mobility and entrepreneurship. Well, in a time when delivery and e-commerce are changing our lives, I thought we'd catch up with Riley to find out what niche trends have caught his eye and what should be on our radar in the coming months. We started a fund about five years ago to give founders their first check if they were going to design something to change transportation. From our perspective, transportation is one of those you know, multidisciplinary, large industries that has so many different arms and legs to it and so many opportunities in any economic environment. And I, I see it almost like the way you view maybe healthcare or food system overall, in that when some parts of the market are up, others could potentially be down and vice versa. It's also, in my mind, very essential. And, you know, essential is the term that we've been hearing for the last two months here on COVID around the things that we actually really need. Transportation is one of those essential things. Yeah. I mean, when I look at your website right now, you have all of your portfolio companies, the breadth of what you guys invest in is so huge, right? So, you know, automated agriculture, aerial freight, automated urban logistics, fleet vehicles. I mean, it's super high tech stuff and stuff that most people, I guess, don't really think about on a day-to-day basis, but which really powers commerce every day, right? Yeah. There's probably a, a part of transportation that would excite or maybe um, inspire really anyone in any field. Most people, when they think about investing in transportation, admittedly, they probably just think about the car industry. There's a lot of innovation that needs to be done in the car industry. But on the other hand, there's a lot of other spaces that people have put a lot of new thinking into in the last five or 10 years. Some of that's in rail, some of it is in the air. And the more you get into other aspects like supply chain, you, know, you can look at logistics, you know, what's needed to be done there. For us overall, maybe within transportation is almost too big of a category to call a category. And within that, there are a lot of things that need to be changed. I think of transportation in some ways, you know, really what it's done for us as a society, but in other ways, what it's done to us. And there are many parts of innovation in transportation over the last hundred years that we look at now and and admit they aren't really innovations. They're probably things that have done some awful things to us. And so it's upon new people starting new ideas in the space to change that. And that's why why we like backing them and like giving them their first check. How have the past two months changed all of that calculus? What kind of companies have, I don't want to say benefited, but you know, what kind of companies have come out on top and who might not? There's a few categories that I believe COVID-19 has pushed their growth curves forward, in some cases a little bit, in some cases a lot. In the automotive retail space, so the way that dealers move vehicles, new or used, there have been, uh, at least in the United States, only about one-fifth of every car dealer buys something online. And that's maybe even a generous description. This could be a dealership that has their inventory on their website would fall into that category. And in the last 30, 60 days in the United States, all those dealers have had to move to some sort of online platform because in, in most states here in the U.S., dealerships are not deemed essential. 
And so overnight, you had to go from 20% to 100% just to keep the dealerships in some ways, keep their sales organizations running. So we have a company that does e-commerce like that. So you can do a whole deal from beginning to end all digitally called Roadster. So that's one acute example of a they probably would have been on a, a nice normal curve anyway, but the last two months have been really sort of hand over fist in terms of the inbound. And so they usually sign up a few dealers a day. And during the last couple months, it's been, you know, five to 10x that every day. So that's been one. The other categories that I think are really fascinating are around delivery and delivery behaviors in the United States and around the world. I'm wondering how much the change during COVID will see lasting impact, you know, outside of the the shelter in place orders. And for me, I think it could look at grocery delivery or essential delivery as this totally different type of behavior. In the United States, delivery for the most part has been, you know, I would describe it as the elongated shadows of the Domino's pizza 30-minute delivery guarantee. And that is to say most delivery in the United States was around convenience and hot food, often with a lowly paid employee or in sort of modern times, a 1099 gig worker who is delivering food pretty fast and probably doing multiple orders from maybe multiple restaurants. And that's actually not well suited to do essentials and grocery delivery. One, you're probably doing a lot more picking in the store and also the cart size. And then that translates into maybe four or five shopping bags. It's a totally different type of delivery. So the movement over the last couple of months has been for a lot of people to start doing grocery delivery here in the United States. And there's a couple services we use here. One is called Instacart. The other one would be Shipped, which is owned by Target. In our family, we have uh, my wife's mother is now using Shipped twice a week, whereas she would have gone to the grocery store. If that behavior of doing these online orders twice a week remains, I think it's going to actually change the way that she and maybe a lot of her, her peer group shop for things. And the business model of those companies is fascinating if you think about it. It's almost designed to be locked in after COVID-19. The way that you get Instacart or you get shipped is typically you pay for a year-long subscription. So let's say, for example, the shelter-in-place is only three months. You've already paid for the other nine months after it ends, and you've started to develop this behavior well beyond the point of habit. And that's the big question for me is how many of these delivery behaviors will, will remain in place? And that's just on the grocery side. If you look at other aspects of how you might put goods in your house, if you look at, for example, things you put in your pantry, there's a lot of services that have popped up recently that want to get in the business of stuffing your pantry. There's a, a new Pepsi spin out called snacks.com, which is doing basically everything carb rich that you'd put in your pantry that comes in a box or a jar. I mean, that's essentially one of their first D to C plays really, right? Yeah, exactly. And I wonder, they don't have the ability to grocery right now, but they've certainly got a lot of things for your pantry. And so if you can design an experience that's good enough that works on a subscription basis, there's probably a significant number of people that are going to think about their pantry getting filled from one of those services. Of course, you know, the 800-pound gorilla is Amazon covering basically all of these different aspects. And so the delivery for me is one of the most fascinating things to look at right now and wondering how it's going to evolve coming out of the shelter. I'd really suggest everybody listening to this to check out a fantastic article in, in Business Week about Instacart. I don't know if you read it. I mean, they were it's a really kind of like in-depth piece uh, about how they coped with rise in demand. I mean, they hired 300,000 workers over the course of eight weeks to Instacart. The question about 
a lot of those services is structurally what's the best way to get groceries picked and delivered to you. And one of the open questions that I don't think any of those services have really figured out yet is on the picking side. The delivery part, whether you're in an autonomous vehicle or you're in a car that's driven by an employee or a 1099 worker, it's 90% going to be the same time of travel. There could be some routing efficiencies you get from software, but from the point the groceries are picked up to the point they're delivered to your house, you'll have roughly the same amount of time. I think the efficiency can come on the front end where a customer has placed an order, you know exactly what they want. And right now, a lot of these workers are actually going into the same retail store that you would to pick your groceries and having to go through the different aisleways and text you a photo if they need a replacement. Yeah, there's often not a separate warehouse. It's literally, they're going right into the store. Exactly. You've heard of the term cloud kitchens for food delivery. And I think the next step of this will likely be cloud grocers, where if you place your order, there's actually a picking function that's done where things are put into a cart or shopping bags for you. And the delivery function is there for just to pick up the bags, not actually to do the picking. And if that eventually is done through one of these companies, and one would surmise that Target, having bought shipped a year ago, is probably along this path at some point, you're going to see a lot more time taken out of that and probably a lot of the delivery window problems that we've experienced over the last few months will go away. But we're not there right now. So what the people packing groceries at these ghost sites, essentially, they work for the grocery store and then gig workers for an app pick them up and deliver them to you? That could be one of the ways. Or if you went for the complete cloud grocer model, you would actually potentially have um, you know, one of these services, whether it's Instacart or Shipt, would have their own employees doing that. Right now, you know, one of the inefficiencies is that the picking and the delivery function is the same person. And so what eventually will happen with more scale is that that will become a discrete job within this sort of logistics Rube Goldberg machine, so to speak. What other, you know, interesting trends have been taking off beyond just groceries? You know, for instance, I don't know how much you invest in scooters, electronic scooters. I know Bird just laid off a whole bunch of their company. Ironically, they just, I think, got approval for operating in the UK, in London, for the first time, officially. What's your take on the future of of e-scooters? I'm fascinated by the use of scooters and how cities have in some ways you know warmed up to them but still capped them at a certain amount and really in the United States and a lot of other cities there's a permitting cap where you can only put down 3000 scooters or 5000 scooters and often not within that many protected bike lanes so it's been an okay option for some uh, one of my friends who worked at a scooter company said what we found is what there, that there was actually no heavy user of micromobility in our service that once we saw somebody take 12 rides per month, they fell off the platform. And it wasn't because they didn't like the category anymore. It's because they went and bought their own scooter or bike. And so a lot of these shared networks are over a period of time convincing people that the format is actually much more preferable to taking a bus, taking a train, taking a a, a car. And so I'm kind of interested how the movement of a lot of these, you know, large, potentially global scale micromobility networks expose people to buying their own thing. Because from a cost benefit analysis, if you do 20 trips on a bird per month, 
and you're going to the same route over and over again, and you don't necessarily benefit from the distributed sharing aspect of it, a lot of these people are going to buy their own stuff. And we're just getting to the point where the hardware in a lot of these retail scooter models is getting good enough where you could buy one and use it as your daily driver. And do you think in the context of you know, a post-COVID world where perhaps people don't want to be sardined into a, a tube or, or, you know, in the subway, they might be going on scooters more or electronic bikes or just normal bikes? This is one of the big questions, right, is coming out of this, you don't want everyone's response to be that they should buy a Chevy pickup truck. Our, our cities simply can't withstand it, and, and I don't think it's uh, great for anybody other than maybe Chevrolet, of course. The problem with a lot of these sort of innovations in the last five or 10 years, well, maybe the last five years, has been a push toward sharing almost everything in your life. And in a transportation sense, we have had, I think, a very low standard for what would be acceptable in terms of cleanliness. So, you know, we have basically the idea that visible dirt shouldn't be on the device, but a lot of the shared bikes and scooters you use, if you're a frequent user of them, you've kind of gotten the habit of, maybe looking for which bike in the rack is the cleanest and has the the tires that are filled. And maybe you would have gone a step further and brought some wipes with you to, to wipe them down before you get on the bike. The big question for a lot of these shared models, whether you're talking about scooters or trains, is what are the visible things you can do to guarantee the end user that what they're getting in is actually clean? And is it one step further, is it disinfected? This is a question not only for transportation, but obviously for all shared use environments, whether you're talking about concerts or restaurants or things like that. One of the big opportunities we think is that someone's going to do a lot of work on the cleaning and disinfecting piece of this, and not just from a technical perspective, but also from a, in many ways, a design communications perspective, the same way that you might give the user in a hotel the subtle insight that you clean the bathroom by having one of those sort of carefully folded things on the end of a toilet paper roll. There's some other visual cue for users of, of shared transportation modes and maybe other environments that this object has been cleaned. And do you think that's a feature that a startup will integrate on their own, or is that an opportunity for an independent company to do something like that? I think that there's a big opportunity for a, a new layer of trust and verification in, in the cleaning industry that's probably a different company. And startups right now in, in these shared-use scooter modes They've been cleaning them more often, but as an end user, what you want to know is that you're the first person to use it after it's been cleaned. You don't want to know that it's been cleaned within the last hour. That's just simply not good enough. And so I believe there's going to have to be leaps in the actual cleaning of these devices. I think one of the biggest things is the communication of that, and that's going to be something that these networks are going to have to get right in order to get high utilization out of these assets again. Because right now, you know, many of them have stopped service. A few have gone back to somewhat regular service. But if you look out the window, there's just not a lot of people using these shared bikes and scooters at the moment. One, they maybe legally can't do it, or two, they don't have anywhere to go. But I think that this is one of the open issues for them as we come out of the shelter. And that's it for today. Thanks to Riley Brennan from Trucks VC. Make sure to sign up to Courier's email newsletter, The Courier Weekly, for more stories of adapting, growing, and reopening. That's at couriermedia.co slash sign up. If you like this episode, why not subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts? I'm Daniel Giacopelli. Courier Daily is back again tomorrow. 
We'll see you then. <laughs>